Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. from Jerusalem. This is Middle East Review, our monthly show surveying what happens in our region. I'm Amir Oren, sitting in for Dania Elon, who will be back next month, hopefully. And with me, as always, that is you are always here, I'm not, is doctor and uh, retired Colonel Eran Lerman. Good to be back. Thank you. I can't say welcome. Welcome to me. <laughs> Um, let's start with the Saudi-Israeli normalization track, which has been talked about. There hasn't been much to see on the ground. And it seems as if, and this is how we will get into issues closer to home, it's, it, it seems as if one of the conditions the Saudis uh, have put during uh, Secretary of State Blinken's visit and um, in other channels, is that Israel must have some progress on the uh, Palestinian (coughs) political process. And that is very difficult for Prime Minister Netanyahu to put through in the current makeup of his government. So first of all, is that such a, a top priority Saudi condition how do you see that um, vis-a-vis the other reported demands of having access to civilian nuclear activity and to uh, more advanced American weapon systems? Let's break this into three parts. First of all, <clears throat> I'm not convinced that the Saudis are really ready for the big leap uh, to full normalization, uh, very broad extension of uh, the model of the Abraham Accords. Everyone says it will have to have another name. The Saudis don't like to be uh, newcomers into somebody else's club. But uh, in any case, um, there are question marks. Maybe the Mohammedan modalities. Well, um, the, um, uh, the regional alignment, whatever the name comes up, at the end of, of course, uh, if the Saudis cro- cross the river, so will other countries in, in the Arab world, well, possibly Oman, etc. And certainly uh, in the Muslim world, uh, further afield, like Bangladesh uh, and others, Pakistan, maybe. Uh, th- but all of this is not yet, has not yet matured. There's quite a lot that perhaps can happen and needs to happen at the level of uh, business to business, at the level of uh, confidence building measures such as uh, the flights for the Hajj, direct flights from Israel <coughs> of Muslims, uh, Israeli Muslims going to the Hajj in, in Mecca. Why, why this gradualism? We all remember uh, the uh, step-by-step Kissinger doctrine. And indeed, uh, right after the Yom Kippur War, 
there were two uh, separation of forces agreements, which were supposed to lead eventually to a peace uh, agreement. With, and in with, a way, they did. In a way, they did. But eventually, uh, President Sadat grew tired of it and flew directly to Ben-Gurion Airport. <clears throat> Why can't the Saudis behave in a similar fashion, forget all of this step-by-step, incremental um, arrangements, and say, okay, let's cut the Gordian knot? Well, uh, <clears throat> as my uh, good friend and, uh, and uh, uh, regular participant of TV7, uh, Bob Silverman, wrote recently in uh, the Jerusalem Post, um, Saudi society has been raised on a deep and, and abiding menu of Jew hatred, of hostility towards Israel, also of uh, aspirations to uh, lead the Arab and Muslim world. Um, all of this, uh, to some extent, uh, modifies the, the wish at the highest strategic level to work closely with Israel. Moreover, there's quite a lot happening already between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And as I used to say, in the, crowd, in the most crowded place in the Middle East, under the table. And, and so the, the actual need for an embassy in Israel and an Israeli embassy in, in Riyadh uh, is, is, not a, is not quite that urgent. We have seen it in the Egyptian and Jordanian cases that, yes, there are buildings there with flags, with emblems of Israel. But they, they are um, hardly visited by locals, and the real business of state is being conducted in other channels. And this has always been the case. And, and so this is the first aspect of it. Uh, the, the Saudis are cautious, and, and some people would say certainly as long as the present king is still nominally and, 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 and at least partially So this uh, is a decision... Um, his uh, sovereign, her apparent MBS will not be able to take on his own? Um, it's momentous. He's pushing for it, but um, I have a feeling that uh, um, his caution also has to do with some inner family dynamics. The second aspect is indeed uh, whether or not uh, they get what they want from the Americans. How deeply committed they are to the Palestinians is, uh, is questionable. Uh, the Palestinians have taken again and again the side of their enemies in all kinds of situations. There's a long-abiding scar going back to Saddam Hussein. There's a, a history of Palestinian relations with the Iranians, which the Saudis do not easily forgive. They have but been... who cares? They want to pay protection money. <clears throat> they don't want to bear the brunt of uh, Hamas uh, or Islamic Jihad terrorism. Well, they, they basically their sympathy in the, within the Palestinian context is more with Abu Mazen and Fatah. But, but there are long, there are deep scars. It's not that they care about the Palestinians. Their real uh, top, uppermost priorities is a more robust American commitment, a, uh, the, the nuclear, civilian nuclear issue, a way uh, for the uh, Iranians to be put on notice that the U.S. is still deeply committed to Saudi Arabia and its survival. These are the really important issues. But on the Palestinian question, um, the, I think the main worry in Saudi Arabia and elsewhere 
is not so much that there is no solution. Everyone knows there's no uh, uh, solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in, in the uh, immediate and intermediate horizon. Um, was <coughs> they was there ever? <coughs> We've been close a couple of times, but uh, certainly not now. Leadership on both sides uh, is, is uh, as far as it has ever been in a long time. But what they don't want to see is a deterioration into a full-blown confrontation with, uh, so to speak, blood. I used to say blood dripping from their TV sets, but nowadays it's blood dripping from everybody's social network, uh, uh, Instagram and, 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 and uh, whatever else. TikTok. And TikTok. So um, here Israel does have a tool which is on the table, <coughs> needs to be uh, reactivated, and that's the Aqaba, the Aqaba pro, so-called Aqaba process, which has already been uh, continued in Sharm el-Sheikh and can be carried forward. It's a format of uh, uh, talks, I wouldn't say negotiations, it's more about, uh, it's not about a solution, it's about management of, but this uh, is, of the security this situation. But this is exactly, exactly where Netanyahu's domestic problems come in because the uh, U.S. State Department has accused Israel recently of um, not fulfilling its Aqaba and Sharm el-Sheikh commitments by expediting new settlement activities <coughs> in the West Bank because Netanyahu has uh, been under pressure from the right. And he's responding to in this manner to acts of Palestinian terrorism and, and to the domestic pressure that they generate. The, uh, that's true, but at the end of the day, the process is a necessary process. It's necessary for Israel, it's necessary for the Palestinians, and it is necessary for the regional participants, both Jordan and the Egyptians. And I assume that the Americans uh, can, even if they have serious reservations about this and that aspect of Israeli policy, can see the utility of pursuing uh, the Aqaba <coughs> process. And, in the, and, and while doing so, signaling to the reg other regional players that um, there is, if not progress towards a resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, there is a willingness on both sides to look at measures that would lower the level of confrontation. But it, it doesn't seem to be symmetrical, because while for Israel and for Israeli politicians in particular, it would be uh, a very nice prize, a trophy, to show around and perhaps run on uh, uh, if elections are, uh, are called. For the Saudis, it will be a price they pay. It's a price for the Israelis, a price for the Saudis, and they can make do with the um, arrangements uh, at hand, what you call under the table. Uh, CENTCOM, of course, is hosting both the Israelis and Saudis. What's in it for them? Why should they upgrade from security cooperation to diplomatic recognition? Well, uh, <clears throat> only if they can, the, the prize they get is a significant American gift. This has been the pattern all along. Uh, the Sudan, which is in terrible state right now because of the, uh, the infighting. Um, Morocco with Western Sahara. Was, was taken off the uh, terror list. Uh, Morocco was rewarded with American recognition of, West, of the, its sovereignty in Western Sahara. Uh, the Emiratis with F, uh, a deal, which has since fallen through, but uh, uh, was put on the table for F-35s. 
Uh, <coughs> the Saudis have a nuclear, a civilian nuclear project, uh, perhaps uh, what the Americans call one, two, three uh, uh, arrangements uh, with, with the Americans. With Israeli acquiescence. With, uh, and obviously this would require also Israel to uh, review its position. It's, it's currently uh, doubtful or negative position on all of this. <coughs> Beyond that, While the Saudis are courting uh, a better, through China, a better relationship with Iran, they, uh, they are under no illusions that the Iranians have become uh, a friendly power. And so a closer relationship with Israel uh, uh, demonstrated in this manner is uh, one more uh, in, uh, insurance policy, so to speak, vis-a-vis uh, -vis now, Iran. Now, Israel, or in particular the Netanyahu government, shouldn't need such an external incentive to improve its relations with the Palestinian Authority. For all the obvious reasons, it is in Israel's interest. It is not doing the Palestinians a favor or the Saudis in favor, a favor. But it's a good pretext for an Israeli politician who wants to sell it to his electorate or to his uh, coalition partners. Listen. We want to have this achievement with Riyadh. We must also improve our relations with Ramallah. Well, <clears throat> as, as you know, as we all see in, in, in stark relief right now, this is, this is a divided government. It's not just a question of Netanyahu and his coalition partners, the cleavage or the, the, the tectonic uh, line runs straight through Netanyahu's own party, Likud. Uh, <clears throat> in, and there are elements there which are very much in the same, uh, um, let's say, orientation with, with what I, I, I would call euphemistically the insurgency. That's uh, a, a powerful pull by important elements within the Israeli right, the uh, party of uh, Bengvir, the party of Smotrich, which, which are under the same list, in the Knesset, and elements within Likud who <clears throat> not only um, have issues not only with the legal system, which is not our issue here, but also with the defense establishment. And in a, in a very dramatic fashion, the heads of the three security services, the, the chief, the key security services in Israel, the IDF, <clears throat> the Shin Bet, in charge of internal security, Uh, equivalent, say, of the British uh, MI5, and the Israeli police, all the chiefs of all three, in a joint statement, which very rarely happens, came out in denunciation of uh, uh, actions by radical Jewish nationalists attacking Arab villages uh, in, in, uh, in Samaria, in, uh, one, one north of Ramallah and, and, and a few others recently. And... Uh, Uh, they were roundly denounced by a minister of the government who called them uh, uh, kind the, of... The uh, Wagner the, force. The Wagner force, like uh, as if they were equivalent to the Russian uh, violent insurgency by a military force. But you know... It, it tells you something about uh, this, this but you know, quarrel with the defense establishment. And Netanyahu, at the end of the day, has always been part and parcel of the defense establishment. But, but now he well, finds himself in a complex I beg to differ dynamic. regarding your last remark about his being <clears throat> part and parcel and so forth. When these three chiefs were junior officers 
25 years ago, there has already been such a united front against Netanyahu on the Palestinian question. The chief of staff at the time, a man you served under, Amnon Lipkin Shachak, along with the inspector general of police, another former military officer, Asaf Hefetz, and another former officer, Admiral Ami Ayalon, the head of the Shin Bet, were all publicly against further settlement activity in the West Bank. At that time, the political or the diplomatic conditions were different because this was during the interim period before the um, uh, full status uh, talks uh, were consummated. But in any event, Netanyahu and the defense minister, <coughs> Isaac Mordechai, sided with them. Now, um, what uh, General or Admiral Gallant, depending on his <laughs> choice, he came from the Navy, um, thinks today, whether he is with his former brothers in arms or whether with his current brothers in political arms remains to be seen. But in any event, Netanyahu, who also faced a similar opposition uh, some dozen years ago when he wanted to uh, launch an operation against Iran, Netanyahu may or may not philosophically agree with them, but politically he is bound to side with the ministers. Well, the, the, I think within the government there is a, a clear division. Um, the Aqaba process was a signal that Netanyahu still understands the imperatives both of the defense establishment but also of uh, coordinating closely with the Biden administration. He may be drifting away from that. Uh, the, situ the political situation in Israel is, is fluid, but there is a, a professional, deeply grounded, I won't, don't want to use the term deep state, but there's a deeply grounded base of understanding within the relevant national uh, security agencies that um, a, um, a policy of intelligent conflict management, we're not talking conflict resolution now, we're talking about uh, the, the elementary uh, necessities to prevent this from descending into further and but further the Israeli production. The, this understanding But the Israeli exist. defense and security forces have a double challenge on their hands. They must counter Palestinian terror, uh, which um, could mount, could use um, additional elements such as rockets. And at the same time, they, might, they must take care for various reasons, moral, operational, international legitimacy. They must take care of Jewish rioters, or as the three chiefs call them, nationalist terrorists, because otherwise they will have a conflagration. They will have civilians on both sides, because the settlers are civilians, even though the Palestinians consider them only an offshoot of the occupation. They will have a civil war in the West Bank in which the military will have to intervene. Clearly, in the eyes of the uh, intelligence community in Israel, um, there are people out there uh, who, who wish to draw Israel into a large-scale conflict uh, in the West Bank, specifically in the northern areas of the West Bank, from Nablus and particularly Jenin and, and, and their environment. And to a very large extent, this is the work of the Iranian regime uh, with its proxies, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and with their working relationship with... By the Hamas. way, it's, it's very short-sighted 
those Israelis who may think along the line you just described and may push for another defensive shield operation um, along the line of what took place 21 years ago, do not understand and do not remember that following the successful military operation, there has been a political setback with President Bush coming out for an independent Palestinian state, a conditional one, and a process, but nevertheless... Yeah, so, so did Sharon even earlier. So, so, so um, even if they get what they want, and there will be an escalation there to root once and for all uh, the yeah. terror, the, the uh, powers that be uh, outside Israel will probably uh, try to, to uh, not, if not impose, try to prod the parties to go back to the table. And this may be one of several good reasons that the defense, the IDF, uh, through its uh, spokesman, uh, Brigadier General Hagai, recently came out in a very clear and measured fashion explaining why this is not a necessary operation at this time, because we are no longer in the situation where we have to invade uh, and take over and clean the places up. We have excellent intelligence, which we did not have then. We do come in and out every night uh, uh, upon necessity. This is not the situation. Moreover, the, the catchphrase should be raid, not invade. Indeed. Not to, hold, not to, to go in, uh, apprehend, uh, would-be perpetrators and leave. And uh, <clears throat> all of this also to avoid being distracted from our concern with Iran, which must remain uppermost on our minds. The region is adrift. The Chinese are meddling. The Iranians look to the turmoil in uh, Ukraine and so far have benefited greatly uh, from the uh, surprising de Russian dependency on what they can sell the Russians. And all of this makes Iran more volatile, more dangerous in terms of its meddling in the region and in terms of its nuclear but project. Let's, let's tackle this very issue from another angle. Because you spoke about the three basic demands of the Saudis for normalization. We touched about, about the uh, Palestinian issue. There is this American um, defense um, uh, supply or sale. But let's focus on the nuclear side. Maybe it's convenient for Israel to dwell on the Palestinian issue in order not to get to the Saudi civilian project where Israel would have to say no for fear of proliferation, which will get to Egypt, Turkey, UAE. Some of them have already started. What is the Israeli position regarding in a friendly and perhaps even friendlier than ever country such as Saudi Arabia, but with the possibility of its regime being toppled, what does Israel think of a Saudi nuclear program? Uh, basically, um, historically, we have been, Israel has been very wary of the emergence even of uh, civilian or reputedly civilian projects, uh, uh, in, even in friendly countries. Uh, but uh, in the case, and, and in the case, we are, what we are talking about is, um, is the fuel cycle. If the, the Saudi, and, and here the, the question is whether the Saudis would want to build a infrastructure of nuclear power production, but 
still uh, make arrangements under which their uh, nuclear fuel uh, is not domestically produced because that is a one sure way of creating a, a, a shortcut to military capabilities. Uh, I think you can imagine a compromise of some sort uh, similar to what the Emiratis and others have cut uh, with the Americans. And, and this Israel can probably live with. But full control of the fuel cycle is a dangerous You know, it's position. amazing. Here we are, 78 years, in two years' time, to be 80 years, not after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but a few weeks earlier, after Alamogordo, the Trinity yeah, the test. The 24th July. Where, um, obviously, American and British scientists have managed, and engineers and generals who manage the program have already uh, tested... A, a device, a not device, a weapon. A, nucle a nuclear device. And after all of these years, so many countries are yet to produce it even though they are technologically capable of doing it. That's a very important point because back in the late 50s, early 60s, the common assumption was that we are going towards a world with 20, maybe 30 nuclear powers. That was President Kennedy's nightmare. Yes. And uh, the first to turn around, by the way, uh, were the Swedes, already in the late 50s, decided that uh, they can live without it and became exporters of inspectors. Swedes, Saudis, sounds very similar. <laughs> uh, this is actually a testimony to the success of the Nuclear uh, Non-Proliferation Treaty uh, in terms of turning countries back, Brazil and Argentina, South Korea, others. Uh, and my fear is that if Iran manages to break the NPT with impunity, the dam will come down. And, they will, and by the way, by that time, Israel, whatever Israel says or doesn't say about Saudi um, uh, capabilities will not deter the Saudis from building their own deterrent. The Turks would uh, certainly go, and uh, uh, the whole project will unravel. And the American nuclear umbrella will not be credible anymore? Not for, uh, uh, interestingly enough, uh, it has been credible for many years vis-a-vis -vis the Soviet Union. It is not necessarily credible vis-a-vis -vis Iran, and we get this in, these indications very strongly from countries in the region. The North Korean weapon did not cause Japan or South Korea to follow suit because they're still, or have been until now, comfortable under the American... But they are threshold states. Whenever they want to go... They could, they but they don't. The and Saudis and the Turks and the Egyptians... I, I find it very difficult to believe and they there is, trust the Americans. There is another case, Taiwan. If they don't believe that the Americans uh, will come to their help against uh, a Chinese invasion or a Chinese nuclear threat, they will also go nuclear. Fortunately, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, China are outside of the Middle East region, which is covered by the Middle East Review. And that brings us to the end of our monthly show. We will meet again, or perhaps Iran and Daniel Yalon will meet again here on Middle East Review at TV7 News Israel next month. For the time being, Shalom from Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.